the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. Following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. It is absurd to believe that if God doesn't give you children, you can't be an elder. See, that's where you have to go with this. You have to jump down to 1 Timothy. 3 verse 4, he must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. It's absurd to think that if God doesn't give you children, you can't serve as an elder. That's where you have to go with this type of approach. As I said before, what if your children die? I mean, one day you're qualified to be an elder, they get in a car accident, and the next day you're not. doesn't make sense. Let me say this. These are spiritual qualifications, spiritual qualifications, and there is nothing spiritual about being married or being unmarried. That's just marital status. Unsafe people can be married or unmarried. There's no virtue in being married or unmarried. It is just the situation you find yourself in. Single men can pastor a church. They can. Now, I think there are some things that they have to be careful about, and I think there are things they need to be warned about, but single men can pastor a church. Paul just naturally assumes that from the leadership, the mature men of the church, these men, for the most part, are going to be married. It's just a normal assumption. And we would do the same thing today. Most pastors are married. But he is not, in my opinion, excluding men who are single from being an elder in the church. If he's mature, he meets the qualifications, fine. These are spiritual qualifications, not marital status situations. to Verse by Verse with our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff. We have been studying God's standards for church leadership, and those are found in 1 Timothy chapter 3. As we have already heard, there is an overarching qualification that a pastor must be above reproach, and that qualification manifests itself in all the others. But from time to time, some people insert their own qualifications, uh, well, beyond what is in Scripture. For example, some say that if a man and his wife have no children, then he cannot be an elder or a pastor. What does the Bible say about that? Because it doesn't matter what qualifications a human puts on church leaders. It matters what God says. So here to teach us today's lesson about church leadership is Pastor Steve Kreloff. It is absurd to believe that if God doesn't give you children, you can't be an elder. See, that's where you have to go with this. You have to jump down to 1 Timothy 3 verse 4, he must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. It's absurd to think that if God doesn't give you children, you can't serve as an elder. That's where you have to go with this type of approach. As I said before, what if your children die? I mean, one day you're qualified to be an elder, they get in a car accident, and the next day you're not. doesn't make sense. Let me say this. These are spiritual qualifications, spiritual qualifications, and there is nothing spiritual about being married or being 
unmarried. That's just marital status. Unsafe people can be married or unmarried. There's no virtue in being married or unmarried. It is just the situation you find yourself in. Single men can pastor a church. They can. Now, I think there are some things that they have to be careful about, and I think there are things they need to be warned about, but single men can pastor a church. Paul just naturally assumes that from the leadership, the mature men of the church, these men, for the most part, are going to be married. It's just a normal assumption. And we would do the same thing today. Most pastors are married. But he is not, in my opinion, excluding men who are single from being an elder in the church. If he's mature, he meets the qualifications, fine. These are spiritual qualifications, not marital status situations. There's a second view. That's the first view that people hold to. And you might think that's far out. Nobody would hold to that. But I told you, I have a friend who held to that. He has come out of that and now does not hold to that. But it took quite a while for him to see some things. Another view, and you're going to think this is far out, but I don't know personally someone who holds this, but I listened to a cassette tape of a man, a very well-known seminary professor, who holds this view. And this view says this, an elder must not remarry if his first wife dies. According to this view, if an elder's wife dies, he cannot remarry or he's disqualified. The thinking being, he's not the husband of one wife, he's the husband of two wives now. And say no one would ever hold that. Yes, people hold this. I understand it's a popular view in Europe. Why? I don't know. But you might think, as I did, why would anyone hold to this? This is ridiculous if you follow through on some of this thought process. Why would anyone hold to this? Well, as far as I can tell, the reason that goes behind this is that they say it is a sign of weakness. A man who has to marry again shows that he is weak. They also say a double family would be a hindrance to the work of the ministry. In other words, he'd be hampered by domestic hassles that would be just too much for him. I think there are some problems with this view. I don't know if I'm stepping on toes, but I'm going to tell you what the problems are with this view. The first problem is this. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 does not say an elder must be married only once. I mean, let's have biblical integrity. It doesn't say that. You may think it says that. It doesn't say that. That's why it's important to see what it says. It doesn't say he must be married once, nor does it say an elder cannot remarry. It doesn't say that. What it does say is that he must be a one-woman man. That's the first thing. The second problem is an elder is supposed to have domestic cares. Verse 4 of chapter 3 says he must be one who manages his own household well and keeping his children under control with all dignity. If a man doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? He's got to have domestic cares. If he's married, he's going to. Let's put it that way. And Paul's not concerned about how many children the elder supports. It doesn't say if he gets two families or gets eight kids here, it's really rough on him. No, it just says that no matter how many he has, he manages them well, whether he has eight or whether he has one. That's not the issue. If it was, Paul would say he can't have more than four. Can't do that. Be too much for him. And what about this view that it's a sign of weakness to marry a second wife? If it's a sign of weakness to marry a second wife, it's a sign of weakness to marry the first wife, right? I mean, it's just a sign of weakness. That's absurd. That is really absurd. If God wants to graciously provide a help me for this man who's been widowed, does that mean he's no longer qualified to be an elder? Think about that. In fact, the widower who doesn't remarry faces the greatest burden, not the one who remarries. The fourth problem is that other scriptures encourage a widow to remarry. 
That's the greatest problem is that it contradicts other scriptures. I don't know if you know that, but the Bible encourages that. When you look over at 1 Timothy chapter 5, this is very, very interesting. 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 9, we'll deal with this more extensively when we get to it, but for now it's good to see this. The church was to take care of the widows if no one else could, if she didn't have children or family support and she was destitute, the church was to take care of her. He says in verse 9, let a widow be put on the list. Now apparently there was a list of widows who they were to take care of, but she had to meet certain qualifications. Only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been, now watch this, the wife of one man. That is the exact term, but reversed for the husband of one wife. It's just the opposite. A one-man woman rather than a one-woman man. That's the language here. The church is to take over her care. There are certain qualifications, and one qualification is that she has to be a one-man sort of woman. Now, some want to come along and say, "Uh, you see, it means she has to be married just once, can't remarry. Is that what it's saying? In fact, let me show you that is not what it's saying. Jump down to verse 11, because Paul had to deal with, what about younger widows, widows who were not 60 years old, widows who were even younger? And he says this, but refuse to put younger widows on the list. Don't put them on the list. Don't take care of them in that sense. For when they feel sensual desires and disregard of Christ, they want to get married. Now, let me explain. Nothing wrong with a widow feeling sensual desires and wanting to get married, but apparently she would go back on a vow. Apparently the situation was this, that there were younger widows who said, look, I want to work for the church and I want to be supported and I make a vow and a pledge that I will never marry again. And Paul is saying she can't keep it. She won't keep it. It's not proper for her to keep it. Verse 12, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. Remember, he never says it's wrong for widows to want to get remarried. Never. He's just saying it's wrong to make a pledge and then not follow through on it. In fact, he says it could be so bad that they could get into immorality. He says in verse 13, and at the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house. Not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies talking about the things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. For some have already turned aside to follow Satan. Implication being that they're following their sensual desires into immorality. But I want you to understand, verse 14 is saying this, I want younger widows to get married. Paul says that's the will of God, general for them. So it is an encouragement for a widow to remarry. Now watch this. If he's encouraging the younger widows to get remarried, what happens when they reach 60 years of age and let's say their next husband dies and nobody can support them? Are we saying that Paul taught you remarry, but now being a one-woman man or a one-man woman means that when you reach age 60, the church can no longer support you because you were married again? Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't think so. Let me back up. He has said in verse 9 that there are certain qualifications that a widow has to have if she reaches 60 years of age and she's been a certain kind of woman, a one-man woman. Notice this, he says, having been the wife of one man. Now, it doesn't make sense that he's going to encourage the younger widows who are not that age to remarry if he means that it's wrong to remarry, that if she was married more than once, she couldn't be put on this list because what he would be doing is excluding her from aid. Paul wouldn't do that. He would be putting her automatically in a class that would say that when you reach age 60, the church can't help you because you did get remarried. Do you see the point? The point being that Paul wouldn't do that. There is no sin involved. 
And when he says in verse 9, having been the wife of one man, it means that she was devoted to her husband. It has nothing to do with how many times she was married. If it's wrong to remarry, then he wouldn't encourage the younger widows to remarry, and he certainly wouldn't put them in a situation where when they get to be age 60, and if they're widowed again, that they can't get support from the church. That doesn't make sense, but that's where you have to go if you believe this view. Not only that, but look at Romans chapter 7. And I told you, we have to think a little bit on this. But I'm afraid that so many people have just fallen into tradition and the opinions of men and have not thought this through. Romans chapter 7 says this, verses 1 through 3. Now, it's not really a discussion on marriage. It's not really a discussion on divorce. It's not really a discussion on widowhood. It's a discussion on the law. But it is an illustration of the law. When you die, you are free from the law's condemnation. And he's just told us in Romans 6 that we died in Christ. That's all it's saying. It's not a total picture of marriage and divorce. So don't read it like that. It's just making one point. He says, Or do you not know, brethren, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? I mean, that makes sense. If you die, the law can't say anything to you. For the married woman, this is the illustration, is bound by law to her husband while he is living. Married, the law says you are married, married. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law so that she is not an adulteress, though she be joined to another man. It's just fine for a widow to remarry. It is fine. It is not a sin. There's no stigma attached to it. You aren't considered married to two men or two women. It's not like that. So the point being that when you go back to this view that punishes people for being remarried, you don't have the support in Scripture. The Bible doesn't punish people by saying you can't serve now. I mean, that's a horrible thing to be remarried. That's a sign of weakness. That's ridiculous. It's a sign of using the old head. That's what it's a sign of, if anything. There's another view, and this is a popular view. Many people hold to this, and it is the view of polygamy. And the view is that Paul was addressing the problem of having more than one wife at a time. And there are many who hold to this, and they say that that was the culture of the day, and Paul was dealing with this very issue. I don't think so. I don't think so. If you speak to modern-day missionaries, they'll tell you in certain parts of the world that that's a problem that they face today, polygamy in the church. I remember speaking to a missionary who said, what would you do in a situation like this? You have men who now they're converted and they've got more than one wife. I think that's a modern-day problem in many areas of the world. But if you go back into the historical times, that it was not a major problem in Paul's day. In fact, scholars tell us that the Roman Empire outlawed polygamy. It's against the law. Not only that, Paul dealt with it somewhat in 1 Corinthians. We looked at a few minutes ago, 1 Corinthians 7, 2, where he says that if you don't have the gift of singleness and you're going to be immoral in this whole deal, he says, then get married. But he says, take a wife, take a husband. He doesn't say take many. So Paul touched upon it. Now, in all fairness to those who hold to this view, research has shown that there were some Romans and Jewish people who practiced polygamy. I don't think it would be fair to say that they didn't have any polygamy in the Roman Empire. But it goes too far to say that it was a major problem. It was not a major problem. Not a major problem at all. And let me tell you why. Because men, if they wanted other women other than their wives, didn't have to marry them. They had concubines. The Roman Empire was a horribly immoral place. 
There were pagan temple prostitutes. There were women called heteri who were just sexual companions for men. There were non-citizen women who functioned as concubines. They didn't need to get married to them. They had their sinful pleasures apart from marriage. Divorce was popular in Paul's day. In fact, one Roman we know from ancient literature was married 27 different times to 27 different wives, one at a time. One writer says this, women wore out their bridal veils. That's how bad it was. Now, I'll give you some more insight on this. You know why I know that Paul is not dealing with polygamy as a disqualification for being an elder? Because of this. Polygamy is a disqualification for being in the church, let alone being an elder. I mean, as soon as you'd enter the church and they find that you were a polygamist, you'd have to be disciplined. Paul is certainly not saying, well, this is a qualification for that. You wouldn't make it that far in the church. It was outlawed in the Roman Empire, and 1 Corinthians 7-2 deals with it. So he wouldn't be saying this is a qualification, that you can't be a polygamist to be an elder. You can't be a polygamist and remain in the New Testament church. The fourth view, and this is the one that by far is the most common and popular view, is no divorce and remarriage. And the view says this, a divorced man can't be an elder. Those who hold to this view also, most of the time, expand it to include those men who, although they have never been divorced, they've been married or they are married to women who have been divorced. And this is such a popular view that it's applied to all kinds of areas that the Bible never even deals with. There are some who take it so far as say, can't be a Sunday school teacher if you've ever been divorced. You can't be in Bible school or seminary. There's one seminary I know, a very fine seminary, but one of their lists for coming is if you've been divorced, you don't even need to apply. I want to be careful about that. I don't want to lower the standards. God hates divorce, but I don't believe that Paul is dealing with it. And I want to tell you some reasons, and I think there are some problems with this view. This text doesn't say... Regardless of what it means, it does not say an elder must be a man who hasn't been divorced. It just doesn't say that. There's another reason, and that is just a very light and surface reason. While we don't want to lower the biblical view of marriage, there are very high standards for marriage. In fact, there is a four-tape album on this whole issue. It's the first album that I ever did, and if you're interested in finding out a little bit more about this, then you need to get that album and study it. We're just going to touch upon some of these things now. But we don't want to lower the biblical standards of marriage. And whenever I teach on the issue of divorce, I'm always careful about that. I don't want to be misunderstood. God's plan for a man and a woman is to be married forever. That's his original intention. But I believe if you take the Bible in its normal language that because of sin, God permits the remarriage after a divorce in some circumstances. And let's face it, most of the reasons people are getting divorced today have nothing to do with biblical views at all. So let me just tell you a few places that the Bible deals with this. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus reiterates it in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 5, verse 31. Jesus says, And it was said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of dismissal. You know what he was saying? He was saying that the view of the day was this. Just get the paperwork done and it's fine. Doesn't matter why you divorced this woman. And back then in Israel's time, a man could only divorce a woman rather than the other way around. So we'll use that illustration. But their mentality, the mentality of the Pharisees was just get the paperwork done. We don't care why. I mean, maybe she burnt your toast or burnt your bagels. I don't care. Just get the paperwork done. And Jesus answers that. And he says in verse 32, 
But I say to you, I mean, the prevailing view of the times may be just get the legality of the paperwork out of the way and it's fine. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, now watch this, except for the cause of fornication or unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. What is Jesus saying? He is saying that if you divorce a wife, and the implication being she's going to get remarried. I want you to understand that. I don't believe the Bible isolates divorce from remarriage. The reason the Pharisees and the reason the Jewish people were divorcing their wives was to get remarried. It was not to remain single. They were looking for loopholes to get out of their marriage so they can marry someone else. That's what Jesus is addressing. So what he's saying is, if you divorce your wife and she marries another, you cause her to become an adulteress, to commit adultery. But what a lot of people don't realize is that little clause there, except it be for fornication. And if you're going to take language in its normal way, you will have to conclude that except it be for fornication just means that, that he is permitting in the case of illicit sexual relations, the divorcing of a wife and the remarriage. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't hate divorce. He still does. But God is saying, in essence, when there is a prolonged, unrepentant sexual sin on the part of a spouse, and it could be, by the way, it's not just adultery. It could be homosexuality, lesbians, any kind of perverted sexual relationship. If it is prolonged and unrepentant and continued and there's no change of heart and mind, then I believe the scripture is teaching that the innocent partner can divorce and remarry and there is no adultery. See, the real issue here is what constitutes adultery. And Jesus is saying, if the marriage was already invaded by fornication, deviant sexual behavior, then to divorce someone in that situation when it is a prolonged thing and then to remarry does not make one commit adultery. Let me give you an example of this or just a thought on this. In the Old Testament, what happened when someone was caught in adultery? Killed. Stoned. For the most part, that's what happened. What happened to the person who was married to that person? They were a widow or a widower. Real fast. Do you think God was saying that you can never remarry now? They're left a widower or a widow. Well, just because in the New Testament age of grace, God is gracious and we don't kill adulterers or adulteresses today, It doesn't mean that the innocent party is condemned to a life of celibacy if he wants or she wants to get remarried. God hates divorce, but he's gracious to the victim of fornication by a spouse. There's another area in which I believe the Bible permits it. And understand, we're not encouraging this. We're not saying if you find that your spouse is involved in misbehavior, you go right out and divorce. No, we're just saying what Jesus said. The Bible permits it. And he reiterates this and expands on it in Matthew chapter 19. But if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you'll see something else. Now, this is the chapter dealing with celibacy and marriage and so forth. He says in verse 15 of chapter 7, Yet if the unbelieving one leaves, he means now there are two people married and You have an unbelieving spouse and you have a believing spouse. Jesus, by the way, didn't deal with this. He dealt with marriage and divorce only in the economy of Israel, assuming that there were two believers here, at least those who professed believers. But Paul was left to deal with the problem of what about a believer being married to an unbeliever? And the unbeliever says, I don't care for this Jesus stuff. I want to split. What do you do? Very real problem in the early church, a real problem today as well. If the unbelieving one leaves, as Paul said, go after him, grab him. Bring him back. 
No, Paul says if he wants out, let him leave. If that's really what he wants. Doesn't mean you shove him out the door. You do everything you can to preserve that marriage. You don't say, you know, now that I'm a Christian, I don't want to be married to you. And that's what Paul had to deal with. You don't do that. You stay with him. But if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or the sister is not under bondage. In such cases, bondage in what way? Bondage to be married. That's the whole context. But God has called us to peace. God has not called us to a lifetime of war with a spouse who wants to leave, but you keep pulling and holding him back, and he says, I'm gone, and you keep... No. He wants to leave. He's an unbeliever. Let him leave. Desertion. And the Bible says that person is free to remarry. I have to say, these verse-by-verse programs have become very interesting. I'll say this, Pastor Steve is not afraid to handle hot topics in a biblical fashion. And that's the key. Pastor Steve keeps bringing us back to what the Bible says. Today, the topic was divorce and how that impacts people, even in the context of one spouse being a Christ follower and one who isn't. There was one thing Pastor Steve mentioned toward the end of our broadcast, and I greatly appreciated it. He said, You do everything you can to preserve that marriage. If I might add to that, it's important to work on preserving our marriages at all times, not just when things get difficult. Pastor Steve has more to say on this topic on our next verse-by-verse broadcast, so please join us then. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.